So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. Hi guys, just a quick heads up that I'm changing up the format of the podcast for a few episodes. I've been getting so much inquiry from young adults who are deeply frustrated with a lot of aspects of wealth building in today's environment. So I have invited my good friend, Ken Huang, who is a millennial, to come join me to have some candid conversation about what's happening today and really kind of share lessons and uh, experiences that I've had along the way that I hope will be helpful to you. Please enjoy these wide ranging and uncensored conversations. Ken, I reckon making your first million is is super, uh, you don't want me to say it's hard. Just because like, I think the feeling is that it's like, oh. Hey Ken, I, um, I was talking to my husband uh, over the last couple of weeks and we had this fabulous conversation which unearthed some of the things that we went through when we were in our early 30s to get to that first million. And I'd love to share some of those with you today because I think they'd be super valuable for people. I'd love to. Well, let's get into it. I think there are five lessons. So, what's the first one? Yeah. So, look, neither of us came from money and neither of us actually had any good advice from our parents when it came to, well, what should we be doing and where should we be investing our money? You know, they were a generation of just save. And so, the thing that I think we both learned through osmosis was you must course correct. I think building wealth is not this set and forget exercise. And I think that's what I thought. If you think about the, the generation that I grew up in, it involved taking all your money, either giving it to somebody else and saying, give it back to me in 45 years when I need it for retirement, or it's just you, you, you put your money into various shares and then you forget about it. And what I actually think we learned the hard way through a bunch of cuts and bruises in that first two, three, four years was that it is a constant review of what's working and what's not working. And being okay with adjusting your strategies and seeing seeing the mistakes and recognizing where you've gone off track. And, you know, I think there's a there's a great expression by Tony Robbins, which is in life, you either need inspiration or desperation. And I think there was definitely, you know, we would oscillate between those two things, but absolutely just constantly coming back to what are we trying to do? Like, what, what are we trying to do? Like we made this mistake or we've ended up buying this thing that hasn't really gone the way we thought. And so I think that idea of constantly course correcting is definitely something something that, you know, I would hope that I would be able to share that with my own kids that you're not, you're not going to always get it right first time. Sometimes you've got to just constantly tweak and, and recalibrate. I, I guess I feel like I've mentioned this to you in the same call that we had was the Japanese concept of Kaizen. And that is just incremental either improvement or adjustments to a craft or a workmanship. That's how they sort of contextually think about that. But that could be anything from like waking up in the morning and today I'm going to start making my bed. And then tomorrow it's like, I'll make sure that, um, you know, my clothes are ironed and the next day is like this and that. And so 
I feel like there's some similarities there, or this is at least the way that I'm interpreting it, which is you're not supposed to have the perfect scenario um, each time you pull the trigger, whether it's investing or wealth building, but it's the idea of like going, okay, what have I noticed that I need to actually adjust and correct um, along this way rather than going, hey, like I've got to have the, the home run every single time a decision's made or potentially to go, hey, it's like just a set and forget and I just don't look at it for, you know, like you said, 30 or 40 years. I think it's worse than that, Ken. I think the... Um modern society especially portrays this idea that building a wealth is this nice curve to success. And I think it's it's lots of divots and lots of ups and downs as you go. And I think if you if I'd had that expectation from the beginning, I think I would have saved myself a lot of heartache because essentially, you know, having now been at the other end and coaching people, you know, who are getting started, I see that it is absolutely the most natural thing to get off course, to make mistakes, to need to refine. I think it's it's very rare to stumble across people who build wealth mistake-free and have no need for course correction. So I, I think there's a little bit of expectation management there. I guess the point here is it's quite normal to make mistakes, particularly making that first million. Yeah, 100%. Like I, I think um, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. Yep. Um, and, you know, I've said this before, like to some degree, building wealth is like watching paint dry. If you're not trying to be like, you know, overnight success and make your million dollars in like a year, which I know is something that everyone aspires to, but would be nice, but it, it's just not, it's not practical. So, you, you know, you've got to actually recognize that you're sort of setting yourself up for this really long race, the big race, and you just want to, you've got your compass and you just want to be constantly refining. Well, I guess the marathon versus the sprint commitment, right? You don't want to Absolutely. sprint in the first kilometer of the race and then you burn yourself out for the rest of the marathon. So you've got to be smart about it and pace yourself out. What's lesson number two? The second lesson that we chatted about was looking for cheap lessons. And I know that sounds bad, but the big learning was that you, you don't have to make all the mistakes yourself. You can actually look at the experience of others. So we always used to joke with our kids, there's an easy way and a hard way to learn things. The easy way is to see that it didn't work out for someone over there and, and take the lesson. Or you can be that person who just feels like, you know, you've got to go through baptism of fire on every single aspect of the journey. So when I talk about cheap lessons, and I probably took, I think, a good five, six years to learn this after I really started to try and build wealth. There were mentors that could have saved me lots of money. And there were books I could read. But the idea was like, there are people who can give you insights and shortcuts to wealth building. And so that that idea of learning the hard way or the easy way, sometimes you actually have to just play and practice. But I think there's a lot that you can do around this idea of find people who have the results that you want, study them, talk to them, read great books that open your mind to new ways of thinking, and then implement as much as you can. I know this sounds funny, but it's almost like it's it's overlooked. It's just easy to take the shiny object that we see on socials and think that that's the right way to do things. This is a question of kind of looking for cheap lessons, but doing it with a bit of a, a lens of, you know, is it real? Is it not real? What about lesson number three? Lesson three. So this one was one, again, that I think is actually really challenging, but sounds really easy, which is to curb your appetite to spend. When I started my career very early on, I, I went overseas and I lived in uh, London, New York, Hong Kong, and it was so easy to get swept into the you know, spending money on experiences and restaurants and clothes. And one of the things I learned when I came back to Australia, I thought like, yeah, money's just always going to be this easy. And then suddenly it wasn't. And so there was a very harsh le lesson there initially. But the more I started to learn about the possibility of what financial independence looked like, the pain around kind of curbing my appetite to spend 
just evaporated. It, it became super easy. So, you know, there's an expression, you can be hot or you can be hot and bothered. And I think the same goes with money. You can be mindful about your spending and be in pain around it and feel frustrated and feel like you're, you know, you're missing out, or you can just be not that bothered by it because your eye is on the prize of what you want in the future. So I think a little bit of my fear of being broke was what initially forced me into minimizing my spending. But I think ultimately, like I, I tell this joke of um, when I'm trying to explain to people about curbing their spending that, you know, I would allocate. And one of the things that happened on many occasions was I'd turn up to the supermarket, I'd have a trolley full of groceries and my card wouldn't work because I'd overspent somewhere else. And I just was so unashamed about that, just going, oh, sorry, I can't take that or like just not bothered by it at all. And so I think this, this lesson around learning to curb your appetite to spend, it's the most simple lesson, but I actually think it's the hardest one to execute on. Well, as you were saying that as well, the thing that also came to mind was if you don't don't know how you're going to get to your destination, then of course, like trying to cut down and make these decisions to get there is going to be even harder, right? I sort of use the weight loss example again is like, if you don't know what exercise you need to do and how to actually eat well, it's going to be really hard for you to actually make a decision to you know, try and lose weight or get, get fitter as well. I think the same thing is quite similar in money, which is, well, if you don't know what the steps are in order for you to get to there, meaning, you know, if you want to be earning a certain amount or you need to be investing or have a net wealth by this amount or this much passive income from your assets, then you have no hope of understanding like what are the first initial steps that you need to take to be able to get there as well. And so like depriving yourself, I guess, which is probably what people feel like, um, whether it's like weight loss or if it's like curbing your spending is really difficult because you don't know how to get to, you know, the end prize as well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just sort of how I interpreted it. Yeah. And that's why I think pairing that with the one before, which is if you've got guides to kind of light the path for you and make that a, a really clear, like this is all you got to do and you'll get where you want to go, then it's much easier to make that decision. Because the value, your values shift. Uh, I have to tell this because it was such a great story. One of our, our members in our community this morning, when I first met him, was expressing a burning desire to own a Porsche. Basically, the guy can afford it. Like that, that's the bottom line. But for various reasons, he had a lot, like, I can't buy that. He was, he was in agony about the guilt of spending money on a Porsche when he hadn't hit the financial aspirations that he had. And today, just out of the blue, he shares, I don't want the Porsche anymore. This journey to financial independence is so much more fun for me now. And I'm so engaged in it because I can see that this effort equals this outcome. And we were all like, just, we thought it was just fantastic, but just, it was just a funny, uh, like I said, dude, you can do both. They're not mutually exclusive. But it, when you're earlier on in your journey, you got to make those tough calls. Yeah, I don't know if I have a relatable example because <laughs> I definitely would still want the Porsche, um, especially if I had the money for it. But um, I suppose, you know, interests and habits also change over time as well. And maybe what totally. the car was when he first started is actually different now, right? Like it's things evolve well, it and change. That was the exact conversation. The exact conversation we were having was that as your, your net worth grows and your means grows, for some reason, your appetite to accumulate more stuff actually diminishes. And it's not, you're not really sure why. It's not because you don't appreciate those things. And it's not because you're so frugal that you have pain around spending. It's more just. You just understand you don't really need it, right? And you it, don't really need it. What you value is health, connection, love, community, all of those, all these other things. Definitely. What's the next lesson? 
Lesson number three was, uh, we're up to three or four? Four, four, yep. Lesson number four was seek balance in your investing. So one of the things I felt that happened very early on in my journey was uh, people kind of in my ear telling me what sorts of investments I should be doing. You should be buying this or you should be doing this and this will make you the most money and and often from people who didn't necessarily have the results that I actually wanted, but were kind of on the journey themselves. And like, for example, one of the things that was talked about and is still talked about is go out and buy the best blue chip property that you can. But I realized very early on when you have finite income, and in fact, I would say, I argue I had very modest income, then doing those sorts of strategies just doesn't doesn't work. It's, it causes too much stress. So the idea that John and I were talking about was this idea of seeking balance. You almost have to, the metaphor I would use is you're trying to climb out of a well, a really deep well that's slippery. And so you, you want to get like little footholds. The journey to the top of the well is as comfortable as it can be. If you start carrying boulders on your back as you're trying to climb out of that well, it just puts too much stress. So there were a bunch of strategies, especially around real estate that I tried that just put us under such an enormous load. And the thing about real estate is it's such a big asset class. You can turn any ship around, but if you make mistakes with high value assets like that, it's just a big burden to carry for a period of time. And, and it basically you lose time. My journey to where I am could have been so much more simple and direct, but I made a, a few blunders along the way in terms of listening to people I shouldn't have listened to, chasing returns because I thought it would get me where I wanted to go faster without taking into consideration, like, can I carry this? Is this actually going to be comfortable for me? I think everyone will try and sell you on their version of, of how to get rich quick. You have to create, and I, I think this is a, a little bit around intuition, but you have to create an internal filter, which is to ask yourself the question, is that right for me? So if I buy that investment and I'm carrying this negative cash flow or it exposes me to this kind of vulnerability, like if the economy tanks, I'm screwed, like those sorts of things, you need to ask yourself, is that the right strategy for me for now? And so that balance piece is more around comfort on the journey. Can you give an example of, you know, sort of a, a an investment deal that really put you under the pump and you didn't find balance in it whatsoever? I think it was the second or third investment property we bought in Melbourne. It was specifically to do as a development. What we hadn't realized was how much cost was involved in getting to each stage of the development. So, you know, it was $4,000 for this consultant, then it was going to be this, then it was this, then it was this. And so all we would, were shown were was like, this is how much money you'll make at the end. And it'll take you roughly 12 months to 18 months to, to do it. It ended up taking us four and a half years to develop that in the way that we were told we should do it. And it was because we just couldn't afford to carry it. We, we just couldn't afford all the, the different steps along the way. You just got to be really careful, like in, in hindsight. And in the end, I'll tell you what happened. We ended up with this these two units that were worth a lot. We made a fabulous profit on it, an amazing profit, but we could barely afford to keep the properties. And so, you know, it was one of these, like, it didn't really work out on so many levels the way that we, we thought it would. And, you know, to be honest, we nearly choked a few times where we nearly lost the whole lot. Wow. And so it's like in those situations, it was more about also sleep at night factor, you know, just the stress or the cloud that was hanging over your heads just to try and support this asset, um, as opposed to having something that may not be as lucrative or, po uh, po you know, profitable, but at the same time, you can sort of get on with your day and not really sort of stress out about it too much. 
Yeah, like one of the decisions I made very early on was to not buy blue chip real estate or not all blue chip real estate in the big cities, but to move to sort of satellite, large regional centers. And in the end, and a lot of people went, oh, you won't make as much money. I tell you, those have ended up, some of those deals have ended up being the most lucrative, profitable deals. And they cost me virtually no cash flow on the journey. Like they put money in my pocket. Mm, so either and, positively geared or very close to that. Yeah. Like I don't need them to put a lot of money in my pocket. I just don't need them to be a rock on my back. Got it. And that's for me, if I were going to do it again, I would be so much more conscious of comfort than I was. I mean, I think John and I redlined our finances for a very long time and made life very uncomfortable. And I don't think that was necessary. All right. And what's the last lesson? Last lesson was lesson number five, selecting one interim goal at a time. So this is a super valuable lesson for people who want it all and they want it now. If you think about all the types of financial goals you can have, you can have savings goals, learning goals, buying goals, investing goals. It's about kind of saying, you know, setting a priority and a plan around that that set of values or priorities. Um, you know, and I, I, I know I say this like a broken record. You can have it all. You can't just have it all at once. So it's very hard to say, well, I want to set a savings goal to buy my first piece of real estate. And at the same time, I want to be investing in all this other stuff as well. Like it's just sometimes you can do it all. But sometimes when you do it all, you dilute the impact of your ability to make incremental gains. And so I think I had a little bit of that going on when I was get, getting started. I wanted it all. I wanted I wanted to be able to save for the big deals and do developments and things like that. And I wanted to invest at the same time. And I wanted to invest in, you know, alternative real estate and, 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 and. And I think it was a very painful, but, you know, necessary sort of learning to become much more strategic. And how do I play this game of chess and get the next best move happening instead of trying to play 10 games of chess at the same time? Yeah. I saw um, Alex Hormozzi show this visually and I think what he did was basically had all these cups lined up and he started saying, right, like this is your jug and this is all the sort of focus and attention you can give something. And he started saying, look, if you divide your attention and your um, bandwidth towards multiple things, you know, people talk about, oh, how I made, how I earned like, you know, seven different streams of income or how I, you know, managed to set up 12 businesses and they all make me this much amount of money. And he said, the reality is that you're better off focusing on one thing and getting really, really good at that one thing as opposed to trying to like do seven or eight things at the same time. Because you only have a finite number of resources. In this case, his metaphor was water, which is the equivalent of like time and focus. And sort of as he was explaining, he was pouring into individual cups. And you can see there that you just can't give your full attention to anything because you have divided focus. And I think that same lesson rings true in terms of what you're saying is, is like, why don't you just focus on just the one thing, get that done, right? Before you move on to the next thing, instead of trying to go, right, why don't we just do all five things at the same time, which I have actually been guilty of um, in many ways, not necessarily investing, but maybe in like the game of business. But I had to learn that the hard way because I realized I was like, well, if I tried to do five different things. I'm not going to do any of them well. Whereas if I just focus on the one thing, that will sort of, I guess, exponentially do better than, you know, the five things doing okay. I think we've already used this quote, but the Bruce Lee, fear not the man who knows 10,000 kicks, fear the fear the man who's practiced one <laughs> kick 10,000 yep. times. And yeah, like I would say it's actually what I've become known for is being a really good strategist, but I would actually say it's not an attribute that I was naturally gifted with. I actually had to work really hard, you know, patience as well. You ha you have to pair all of that with a nice bow, you know, that we call patience, because if you can only do one thing at a time, 
and you know that the wheels move slowly with your wealth building, but you're very clear on what you want, then you can, patience has to follow. Like you have to, you have to be very patient. But I would actually say that becoming strategic in your thinking is just a natural byproduct of recognizing that just one interim goal at a time. So super important building wealth building piece for anyone who's serious about building wealth and yet so so missed in mainstream conversation definitely because i think you know from our good friend bin jang he talks about he's a magician so he sort of talks about there's two aspects to a really great magician and 99 percent of books that he's read focus on technical i guess understanding of how to do magic that's like your sleight of hands how the trick works all the different angles and things like that that very little people actually teach about showmanship and so how that sort correlates to what you're saying here is like I think a lot of people focus on like what's the sort of silver bullet what's the big chess move that you can do to like make a checkmate what are the things that you can sort of like what are all the opportunities that are out there Um, but no one out there is actually teaching um, potentially the mindset behind what it takes to actually build genuine wealth like patience understanding to not focus on shiny objects doing one thing at a time which is what you're advocating here because it's not sexy people don't want to know that sort of stuff and so i would argue that you say oh you're you're a really good strategist i would i would also say it's like there is a huge component of eq uh, mindset management when it comes to building wealth that i think uh, people are their own worst enemies when it comes to building wealth they they make decisions that fly in the face of their own self-interest because they think that's the thing that you've got to do as well. And so I've been someone who has been in that position as well. And it wasn't until someone, I guess, unveiled or really sort of pointed out to me these sort of things did I realize because you, you, you don't know what you don't know. You know, you talk about unconscious incompetence. That's basically what it was. So yeah, I guess that's the last thing I'll say about this, which is all of these lessons that you're distilling down. I think people are looking for like, what's that sort of big move of those things? But in actual fact, it's like, well, how do I need to think about things? How do I need to approach problems? And what are the sort of the things I need to consider in order for me to make the right decisions? Because there's no one way or one pathway to be able to get to where you want to get to. There is multiple ways to get there. You just got to have the ability to identify what's best for you. That was gold, Ken. And I, and I would say to, to that, if you think about it from the investing, like the actual investing part of the wealth building journey, if you talk to most people, it's, they're interested in exactly what you're saying. What is the, the one killer deal that I can get my hands on today that's going to get me most of the way there? They're just, it's the wrong thinking. The right thinking is what are the consistent efforts that I can make in deals that give me a reasonable return that are actually going to move move the needle and take me further along on my journey. And, you know, my final thoughts on all of this, if you're going to put a bow around it, is consistency will always trump flashes of brilliance. Always. No question. So people need to stop looking for killer deals. Like they waste so much time looking for killer deals and start focusing on consistent efforts. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to inkosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.